Lisa Marie. And I'm Jen. And this is the Women in the Woods podcast. And we're not in the woods right now. But we would love to be. Oh my God. Welcome oh back. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. <laughs> we have missed you guys so much. We are so excited to be back. It has been a Far too long, Jen. It's it's only been a minute. Yeah, that's true. It's been like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Five minutes tops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we are back, and we are back for a second season. That is right. We're going to start doing seasons of the podcast. We're going to be having a new episode coming out at least every month, usually about twice a month. Um, and Either the, bi-weekly or tri-weekly. Exactly. Yeah, something like... I think that's how that works. Yeah, we, we, we put it on a calendar. I don't remember the numbers, but it's something like two to three weeks. At um, least one every month. Exactly. We promise that. Yes. <laughs> the format is happening because we, you know, we learned a lot. Yes. By doing the first season. We sure did. Yes, we did. Um, and we hope you learned, too, from the things that we rambled about. Or were at least entertained. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if not... Nothing else. You are not entertained. You enjoyed what we brought. Yeah. <laughs> and if you didn't, you're probably not back for a second season anyway. So if you're brand new, welcome. I hope you enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> Take two with a new new audience. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was our starter audience yeah. that first that first season. <laughs> so those that have stuck around with us, you probably know the podcast we're focused on giving you guys entertaining things and then also empowering things, stories, tips, you name it, to help you get outside and do awesome stuff in the woods. Yes. At, at the end of the day, if we have inspired literally anyone to get out into the outdoors and have an adventure if you have a great time or a terrible time, but you were glad you did. <laughs> you got out there. Yeah, you got if, you, out there. if you got out there, then that is our job done. Woo. That is why we do this, because we just want to inspire and excite and entertain. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're kicking it off with our first episode today. Yes. Yay! So Jen, what have you been up to since we last recorded the podcast? You know, I've been doing some pretty fun things. Um, I have been a Trailhead Ambassador mm-hmm. uh, for the Columbia River Gorge and the Mount Hood Area Trails. What does that mean? Essentially, we had a large wildfire come through the Columbia River Gorge. Don't play with fireworks, people. If you learn nothing else yes. from our podcast. Oh my god. It's bring a map and don't play with fire. Uh, always <laughs> bring a map. <laughs> um... So it took a while after that for our, I mean, our forests are in recovery. They're going to be in recovery for a long time, but it it took a while for our amazing trail crews to fix up these trails so that they are able to be reopened to the public and be hikeable. So in that interim over the summer, there were a few trails that were open and trails that were reopening. So as a trailhead ambassador, myself, along with several other volunteers uh, would go out to these trailheads and just talk to the public about any questions that they had. A surprising number of people didn't even know that there was a fire, so they wouldn't wow. know why trails were partially closed or why trails were fully closed. Uh, we would you know, help reroute them to trails that are open. Talking about leave no trace ethics, don't start fire. (laughs) And, you know, just like respect the trail, but like saying it in a very nice way. Being a literal ambassador for the trail, like advocating for, you know, making sure they're taken care of and treated right. Yeah, so a lot of trails have undergone a facelift, basically. (laughs) And it was really up to us to kind of facilitate this in a way that took the burden off the rangers from having to do all that heavy lifting. It was so much fun. I didn't really go into it with a lot of expectations. It turned out to be incredibly wonderful and rewarding and I met so many amazing people and yeah, so I want to come back and do that. It's a season. It's a seasonal thing. So it it starts on Earth Day and it ends on Labor Day and so I want to come back and advocate again for these lands that I love. So and there's no face I'd rather see at a trailhead than yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the best person ever to choose for trailhead ambassador. <laughs> we're, we're each other's wives. Yeah. <laughs> we're basically married. Yes. <laughs> She's my other partner. <laughs> like, but in like a woods kind of way. Partner. Oh, 
Well, we'll have to talk about that later. <laughs> Ross, but, don't worry. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so that was the that was a lot of what I've been up to, and it was wonderful and lovely, and I've just been enjoying the trails as they've been reopening and seeing how amazing and resilient our forests are and how they can recover at an astonishing rate. Yeah. Fire has definitely reshaped a lot of the terrain. So it's it's an interesting experience now going up. And it's going to be a constantly changing experience, you know, as the forest recovers. So, Lisa, what have you been up to? Oh, my goodness. A lot of things. So I'm not going to talk about them all now. I'll share some in the next episode, too, um, or maybe some updates between now and then. But some of the things that I've done, I attempted another 100-mile run. Like you do. Yeah. <laughs> I may have fallen in the first five miles and injured myself. Well, I fell and landed on my knee on a forest service road with really trunk- chunky gravel. I just stepped wrong and fell hard on my knee. And I knew I had messed up my knee pretty badly, but it was so early in the run. I wasn't going to give up then. I had trained for this run forever. I was so excited for it. So I just ran on my messed up knee for another... 65 or more miles I made it to mile 70 point something but around um, mile 55 and a half my knee started locking up like locking in place and I was unable to bend it Um, and it was an excruciating pain so I really did mess up my knee Um, I still hobbled onward to get around this lake I really wanted to get around Um, I thought I would drop at the next you know checkpoint I was like no I'm gonna keep going so I'm like swinging my leg around um, which I just want to say is from a layman's perspective (laughs) I just want to say the fact that you ran over the equivalent of two marathons on a busted janky knee almost because I saw oh sorry yes (laughs) You're fine. Yes, nearly three marathons (laughs) on a on a junked up knee because I mean I saw the aftermath of that knee. Oh, it was bad. And I just can't. I mean, I would have tripped, fell, and be like, "Mm, "We're done. (laughs) Just gonna call this good. I ran a ten k. Great. (laughs) But obviously, we have we're at different levels here. I'm just, I just find that insanely impressive. And that kind of ties nicely into our episode's topic about working through, you know, the mental anguish of, the, well, you had actual physical anguish. Yeah. <laughs> I probably should have stopped sooner and the injury would have been less severe, but I did finally listen to my leg. You know, it's good I to think, listen to I your body. I think your leg made you listen to it. It, it was like, you're going to listen because yeah. I'm just going to like fall off here and run away exactly. because you are not, we can't keep going. We are friends. <laughs> it was that the hobble, the swinging hobble around the, the lake at the end there for like 15, 16 miles um, of hobble uh, around that lake and swinging my leg. At my time, I went from like making really good time, even on that messed up knee. I just kept, changed my, my gait a little bit throughout the whole thing so that I wouldn't cause pain in it. And that trail doesn't have a lot of downhill, which is why I was able to get as far as I did. If it had more, I would have had more issues sooner but anyway that last part was pretty pretty brutal still was trying to see if they could give me a splint or something to hold my leg in place at the aid station at 70 point whatever um I went to the paramedic I was like okay I need to go to the paramedic um and she like did a few tests and was like um so I can't guarantee that if you keep going you aren't causing permanent damage to your knee (laughs) and I was like oh god damn it but um up until that point I was still trying to find a way to keep well because the interesting thing is you were so you're running on this injured knee yeah and you're still coming in on time at yeah, all these oh, checkpoints well in advance yeah. i mean not to brag but thanks to whose spreadsheet oh it's <laughs> my woods wife jen jen was magical and she made me yet again the logistics master she made me a spreadsheet with like what time i had to get into each aid station in order to hit the cutoffs and also to hit my goal time and also where i could poop which is so important so like which places had porta potties and stuff like that. So because of Jen, I keep track of my time, which was so amazing. Thank you, thank you. Yay. Yeah. But yeah, so that's the thing I did. It turns out I tore my meniscus. Um, and I was in I was determined to not have surgery. Um, because I don't want to unless I have to. If I did, I would have it. But uh did a whole lot of acupuncture and electroacupuncture and physical therapy, you name it. Um, and now I'm back to running. Um slowly, but 
I'm back, and no that's long-term great. long-term damage. It's, it's a little janky at times. Like, it gets clicky and weird. But um, I am able to run comfortably, and I am grateful for that, and I'm grateful I stopped when I did. Mm. I remember, last thing I'll say about that, there's a huge climb up to 55 and a half, and there's just this weird, I was getting shooting pains at, if, I, if I bent in a certain way. When I got up there, my partner, Ross, was waiting for me, and because uh, he helped crew some this time, which was awesome to see his face at the at the aid station. And he was, and I told him, you know, I think I've really messed up my knee, and I've had nausea. Oh, I got stung by a bunch of yellow jackets, too. I forgot about that. Like, like mile, I don't know, before 19, I don't remember where it was. I was attacked by bees. Um, I forgot about that part. <laughs> a number, a lot of racers I mean, were. I just make it more fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I forget the count now, but I it was a crap ton of stings on my neck and on my head. And I'm not allergic to bees, luckily, but it was, it made my throat swell. My voice sounded weird, and I had this cough thing going on, and I just felt super nauseated for a long time. And I was just eating, they had gingins, like ginger candies at the aid stations. So I would just, like, I was like, well, I gotta try something. So I tried those, and I put ginger ale mixed in with my, like, energy drink, which was is gross in real life, but at the time was magical. <laughs> and the gingins kept me alive. I think I said out loud that gingins are life at some point. <laughs> because they kept me from vomiting because I was on the verge of vomiting for a very long time and I had to let my hair down because tying it back was painful because it was pulling on this all the stings I had on my scalp and so I had like a rat's nest head at the end of the run because my hair had been like flopping around it had been raining the whole day and like I had never had my hair that knotted before but anyway I digress as I always do and at mile 55 and a half when I saw Ross he said to me well if your knee is that messed up shouldn't we lo- let's look at it and I was like no <laughs> I don't want to know what it looks like <laughs> because I knew it was not good and sure enough there are photos maybe I'll share another one of my stories on Instagram um, when I release this I'll put it in the stories of just how swollen my knee became it was not good and actually the one that swelled the most is the one I landed on the one that I twisted going down is the one I damaged the most so that swelling wasn't even like the worst of the knee problems and it was you saw it it's a balloon knee anyway yeah, so I did that. I had a great time. Um, I <laughs> it was a lot of fun. There's other stuff too, some trips and adventures. I will talk about Norway next time we chat. And I got engaged. So yeah, oh you my did. God. Not to me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I brought you a ring. <laughs> yes, you did. Consolation ring. <laughs> and your partner is also outdoorsy. So yeah, he is a. So he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> he is a whitewater kayaker which is like another level of crazy to me whitewater rafting and kayaking are i i like rafting because i like feeling like i can get out of the boat although you really don't want to get out of the boat in a rapid like that's dangerous <laughs> but no. but i don't like the Seems idea like of, a terrible idea it <laughs> why would you do that well if, yeah, okay <laughs> but then a whitewater kayak you are strapped into the boat you're attached so if you flip over you have to like try to extricate, you have to like pull your spray skirt and like extricate yourself from the boat before you can try to even get your legs up and like breathe again. And so that whole thing just scares the shit out of me. But I I do wanna, I do like kayaking. And so I'm gonna try some whitewater kayaking because you know, the dude that I love does that. Well, you also <laughs> regularly like cling to cliff walls. So yeah, I feel true. like that you're like no stranger to like scary things. Whereas I'm like, uh, scree slope. I don't know about this. Yeah, exactly. just, like gingerly try to step my way through. I feel like that is on your level for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's been good. Yeah. It's good to be back. Yes. So in this week's episode, we're talking about keeping your head in the game, how to stay motivated and how to keep going on multi-day adventures and ultra runs when you really feel like you don't want to. For those of us who are attracted to longer endurance outdoor recreational activities, whether that is through hiking a long trail or running an ultra marathon, anything that requires more than just day hike or a casual run or a casual I don't know what a casual mountain climb is. I don't even know what that looks like. Some sports are just crazy. But one of those things where after you've done all the hard work off the trail to make sure that it's all going to go off without a hitch, actually being there 
at the trailhead or at the starting line or at the base of that mountain, you expect, you've set this goal that you are going to finish because you want to finish. Yep. But then there is actually being on the thing and doing the thing. How do you not give up? Because let's be real people at some point you want to give up like we both have insight into this there is always a moment during everything i've ever done that is long whether it's running or or multi-day things where i have wanted to quit there's not been a single person i've talked to in which there wasn't at least one point where they're like this is hard i want to stop when you really set a goal that you want to accomplish or like a goal and again it's the experience of getting there the goal is not the everything we've talked about this before but the goal is meaningful and Mm -hmm. and meeting that goal it can change your life but along the way long before your physical body wants to give up your mind wants to give up yeah the desire to quit has come up at different times like it's never really predictable and it's not always because i'm in pain sometimes i'm just bored or sometimes i am lonely and i would talk about that so then what do you do to carry on through that. So, Jen, we have some statistics and some, yeah, some info. We've, we've got some fun facts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like it. Fun facts with Jen. Fun facts. <laughs> uh, so, because my main passion for the outdoors is hiking and backpacking, because uh, that's my speed, I was really curious about the statistics of the three most popular long national scenic trails in the United States, which is the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail. I was really curious about the number of people people who start and how many actually make it to that final trailhead. So the PCT has been around uh, as an official National Scenic Trail for 67 years. In total, all 67 of those years, there have been 6,611 completions. That's it? In 2013, there were 1,042 thru-hiker permits issued. Of the 1,042, 273 completed. Holy crap. That is a 26% completion rate for that year. Wow, that's so much lower than I thought it was. That was apparently one of the most popular years. I think, I I, I didn't look at the data for 2018. I do know there were a lot of, there are more people who hiked the PCT this past summer than ever before, but that was just a year I had firm data on, and I just find that really fascinating. So that's one in four who started out, finished it. On the Appalachian Trail, on average, from 2011 to 2015, there are between 2,500 to 2,700 attempts at the Southern Trailhead in Georgia. Oh, wow. Like almost double the people start the the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, the Appalachian Trail is the most popular of the three National Scenic Uh Trails. It's also the the oldest. Uh Um, That's been a National Scenic Trail since 1936. And just a side note, when we say PCT-18, CDT, that's just an abbreviation for Pacific Crest Trail, Appalachian Trail, Continental Divide Trail. So anyway, go on. So between 2011 to 2015, out of between 2,500 and 2,700 attempts, there was a 25% success rate. Between 2016 and 2018, there were on average between three and 4,000 attempts annually and only 20% success. Wow. The Continental Divide Trail, so this is really interesting because this is where I had the most in-depth data. CDT is hard. Yeah, so the CDT is, of the three scenic trails, it is by far the least hiked of the three. So only 85 people this is recent this is as of 2018 okay 85 people completed the survey 64 percent completed the trail which is fascinating because it's the longest and terrain wise probably the most difficult and the least well developed and the least developed wayfinding skills for the cdt yeah only eight percent for only eight percent of the hikers the cdt was their first through hike so you definitely have a lot more experienced hikers only you know one out of one out of every three didn't finish what this survey kind of helped me figure out is well how many people dropped out because they were injured or there were wildfires and things out of their control that they had to pull off the trail and how many people didn't complete it because their thoughts just got the best of them and what this survey showed me is that fires and injury only accounted for 32 percent of the reasons why people quit the other 68 percent of reasons were men 68 percent 68 percent wow 
Um, of and that's the, for the CDT. Yeah, of people who didn't finish. Wow. Um, and I'm sure if I try to poke into surveys for the PCT and AT, I feel like the data is likely very similar. Mm. But the CDT really showed me when you have some of the most experienced, well-rounded, older hikers, even then. So then you have the PCT, which got very popular with Wild, and the AT, which is always, it's always just been very popular. Um, and those, both of those trails only have between 20 to a 26% success rate. Yeah. It's a lot of people who psych themselves out. You're also not running into as many people as you do on, like, I, oh, hear, totally. I hear that the Appalachian Trail is, like, basically like a moving party. Yeah. And the PCT, <laughs> you know, like, you can just find people daily to, you know, spend time with. And on the CDT, you don't really have those luxuries. You can go days without seeing anyone. And so I, I would imagine also weather and terrain aside, loneliness is likely a factor too. And I feel like, and this is just my personal experience with this, that you think you want to be alone in the woods. Mm -hmm. Like I love being alone in the woods and you do up to a point. Yeah. And then at a certain point, you really do want to see a person. And it is it, it is weirdly, it plays with your mind when you don't run into anybody for enough days. You start to, like, get kind of depressed about it. Yeah. The CDT, I'm not 68% pull off because of, like, they just weren't feeling it anymore. I bet money that, that some of it is that, yeah, that mental game. Yeah. But it's interesting because uh, the longest trail I've done is the John Muir Trail, and that was 22 days. I just, I had these grand notions of, I'm going to do, like, so much soul searching, and mm -hmm. I'm going to, oh, totally. you know, I'm going to do all this, like, deep <laughs> thinking, and I'm going to, you know, learn all these, you know, I'm just going to, like, really sort through shit and, like, <laughs> figure some, and <clears throat> the reality of it is, what I'm actually thinking is, I'm paying attention to every ache and pain. Yep. Oh my I'm God. thinking yes. about when can I stop and eat a snack? Oh, I just stopped and ate a snack. Well, I can probably stop again soon. And where is where is shade? Where is you know? And it's you're. I'm spending so much time thinking about these like little minutia things. I worked through like nothing. Yeah. Like I, I mean, that's not to say that I didn't learn a lot, and you know, but you you think you're gonna have this like philosophical walk in the woods, and really you're just paying attention to frustrating shit and I feel like that ends up being like 90% of your time out there and same with the, these ultra runs for mm -hmm. me like I end up loving them but it's 90% of it is horrible right or like yeah. I'm not happy and I'm noticing something hurts and you know like whatever try not to think about it and then I have this one moment of something a, a tree or like th this most recent one it was like I had to s squat down with one leg straight and unbendable to pee under the moon because I needed to pee. <laughs> I turned off my headlamp for the first time because I ran through the night. I f could see this, the moonlight reflecting on the lake there. And that one moment was everything. That was an epiphany philosophical moment for me that like, this is what I enjoy about being out here are these moments where I can take a second and appreciate everything around me. And it makes all the suffering worth it. But those things, you think you're going out to have this ohm moment in the woods? Right. It's like, um, no, it's most of the time not like that. <laughs> yeah, well, because, and that's really what sets these sort of adventures apart from, like, the shorter, for example, like, if I'm going out on a day hike, I can definitely have kind of a meditative experience where I just get lost in my thoughts because I'm usually familiar with a lot of the day hiking trails that I do and where, and, like, if you just, like, go on a run for a morning, you know, yeah. you're not expecting to, like, be in survival mode. And yes. so Totally. You know, not. and so, so like you can like get deeper in your head, and it's you know, I think the misconception some folks have when they go into their first truly like long term immersive adventure is oh it's gonna be like the shorter version of that, but it'll just last longer, yep. and it'll like be as you know, and and not that anyone's like so naive to think like you're not gonna run into stuff, yeah. but I don't think anyone thinks it's gonna get hard to the point that you actually legitimately quit yeah you know I'll do very quick on my side um so uh, from the ultra running and running perspective I was reading an article from outside online about like why do people quit do, how many people finish I can't find good finisher percentages because it's so dependent on the particular course and the distance and so ultra runs are anything over a marathon and a hundred milers have different finisher rates and I believe they have higher finisher rates than like 
50 uh, Ks and stuff like that. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You're that dead. It's like the CDT has a higher finisher rate because of people that get into that. Their experience. Like they're, they've done stuff like that yeah. before. Or they, they know they're expecting to suffer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're prepared for that. They embrace the suffer. Yes. <laughs> what I found as far as finisher rates, again, could not find, but I could say for that 100 mile that I did the, the year before, they only had a 50% finisher rate. It was a little, little, it was right around 50%. That's very low for a hundred miler. So that means the majority of people are finishing. And a good example that I'll throw out there of a recent finisher is this woman uh, in the UK who just ran an ultra marathon there that is like over 200 miles. And she just gave birth like 14 months ago, something like that. And she ran this race and she not only won, she beat everyone, including all of the men. She also shattered the course record and the men's record in this run. And it was her first time ever running a race like this. She's not like an experienced, seasoned, multi-day runner. She ran for 80 some odd hours and she was expressing milk along the way because she's still breastfeeding. Yeah, you sent me this article and the picture, there was a picture of her with breast pumps. She was pumping as she was running. I'm sure she was like, oh, I just gave birth. I got this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I, this is is my wheelhouse. (laughs) But like that mentality and that strength of mentality, because again, your body, no matter the body is tired at some point. So where do you dig deep and find the ability to push through all of that and accomplish amazing things? I think, I mean, she obviously had a very strong desire, probably just tapped into those, you know? And so we're going to talk a little about our reasons and the things that have helped us so that you guys can hopefully take some of this and run with it. And if you have anything to add, please send us messages on the Instagrams. Let us know what you do, what helps you get through this stuff. And we'll talk about and share anything you guys share with us on the next episode. All right. So what I have found helps me to mentally get through things. Number one, I start ultra runs. I just went into it so excited about the goal and the idea of doing this that I was sure I was going to do it. I didn't ever, like you have to start from the the mentality of I'm doing this thing. Not like, oh, I'm going to attempt. It's like, I'm doing this thing. I'm running across Iceland. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. I'm nervous as hell, but I'm so excited because I'm doing this. So starting from that point is incredibly important, at least for me, because otherwise if I'm starting from a place of doubt. Doubt creeps in at some point, and it's just feeding into a narrative I've already created from the beginning. So I try to keep that out as much as I can. Um, I also try not to lie to myself, but, you know, but sometimes you have to a little bit. <laughs> um, this is also, fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. Everything is just fine right it's now. Fine. My leg's not bending. It's all right. It's I'm just getting stung by the bees are just being ultra-friendly today. Exactly. It's fine. It's, it's fine. This is good. It's good. Can work with this. <laughs> so the, um, the other thing that I have found, like, my... When I bikepacked the Colorado Trail, I was with one other person. 20 days straight of bikepacking is a lot. We go over 12,000 foot passes, one a day in the beginning, and then multiple 12,000 foot passes a day, and sleeping at 11,000 feet. And then it like an ember deflated my sleeping pad, and I was, I ended up a little hypothermic because we had slept at 11,000 feet and it was cold, and the thing didn't keep me warm because I didn't know it was going to deflate. And then I was like an emotional wreck the next day, which was largely just delirium from the hypothermia. And I didn't know. Now I know what hypothermia feels like. That trail, I never thought I was going to have the amount of trouble mentally that I did with it because it was physically, I knew it would be hard, but you don't really know how hard things are until you're doing them. Yes. For that one, it was small victories. I allowed myself and allowing myself to feel what I'm feeling in that moment. I didn't let my, I didn't try to like gloss over how exhausted I was. I didn't try to gloss over, um, how tired my legs were and how much I didn't want to go uphill anymore. That was a big thing for me because it was so much climbing. It was ridiculous on a trail that is not made for bikes. So I had to hike my bike a number of times, lift it up over my head and over (laughs) things. And so I let myself fully experience that. And I just kept reminding myself this end goal that I had like well at this point the only way out is to get there like those miles aren't going to ride themselves that was a big thing for me like I come up with mantras along the way miles aren't going to ride themselves so I got to get on my bike (laughs) 
because I can't stop suffering until I get to the end <laughs> because right. I have to finish. So the sooner I get there, the sooner the suffering will end. <laughs> and so this all being said, again, I had an amazing time. I loved it, but it was hard. Um, and so those mantras help a lot too. Um, there was an ultra run that I had another mantra that was, I'm just getting to the start or I'm just trying to get to the start. And so for the first like 19 miles, I didn't let myself or the first like however many aid stations, I didn't let myself think about the fact that I'd already run that far. Cause I don't really, I don't get to start thinking about distance until I get to that aid station. So there's another run I love that I don't let myself start thinking about distance. So I get to the 26 mile aid station <laughs> because at that point, then it really starts. So setting waypoints in your mind that are not actual physical waypoints. <laughs> that helped me a lot. Um, but also the loneliness thing is real. Um, when I, you know, I was in Hardangarvida in Norway recently, and I'll tell you more about that next time. And I was running it myself. I just on a whim decided to do something in Scandinavia. I picked it a like, handful of days and got a plane ticket, you know, before, um, since I was already over in Europe visiting family, I got a map like the day I got on the, the this into this national park. So I was, and it was late in the season, so there weren't many people out there. And once, and my goal was to get, like, to run across the whole thing through the widest part and to go through the most remote part of the whole territory. And so I was really alone. And then really, really bad weather came in unexpectedly. And I was so cold, I couldn't take my gloves off. So there are no photos from that part of the trip because I couldn't, my hands would freeze if I tried to take my phone out. During that, talk about feeling lonely. I think when you are completely alone in the woods and everything is uncomfortable and you're actually a little afraid because you can't see where you're going or there's some other difficulty that is, you know, reminds me of your, reminds you of your mortality, you can't help but just want to see another person. <laughs> yeah. And the next time I could get to a cabin, it would be so easy to just stop and turn around um, or get to that cabin and then pick a shorter route out. And I didn't because I just knew that at the end of it, I would be glad that I kept going. And so sometimes that's all I could do was sit there, cry. And then you say, I just know at the end, I'll be glad that I got through this. And sometimes that's all you can do is be look forward to the end and know that when you get there, you'll be glad you continued. So those are my, those are my big things is a lot of mantras, a lot of believing in yourself, a lot of uh, crying and letting yourself have emotional tantrums. <laughs> yeah. And Jen, what kind of tips do you have? How did you get through like the JMT and <clears throat> other stuff you've come up against? So there are a few things. I mean, I had to really work my way up, just get to any multi-day anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like a several year process and mainly just like battling my own fears of like, what is it going to be? like to be with just myself in the outdoors you know mm -hmm. it's like <laughs> as soon as I step foot will bears be like there's a vulnerable girl yeah. <laughs> you know sure. so there's <laughs> yes. they will smell your uterus yeah, yeah. so you know it's like so just like battling a lot of fears a lot of self-doubt of like what am I capable of so I will say that before I stepped on any multi-day trail I I used to read just so many through hiker blogs mm. and just cull so much knowledge from those. Um, like I really was invested in, for example, Carrot Quinn's blog when she was yeah. hiking the PCT at the time for the first time. Even when they do say this was really hard or like this sucked and this is what happened. Um, those are actually the blogs that I really were drawn to were the ones yes. that were just like not just the beautiful photos, but just totally. like, oh, like everything went wrong today. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, you don't realize it's so easy to just read that stuff from the comfort of your house and not understand truly how much that must suck mm -hmm. until you are out there doing it for yourself, by yourself. And you're like, oh, confirm. Like, yeah, exactly. This really sucks. Yeah. So my first long distance hike that I did by myself was the Wonderland Trail. And that 93 miles around Mount Rainier. And I decided to take 30 days to do it because I wanted to like really enjoy myself and touch my body to water as yeah. you like to say I, yeah. I wanted to just like you know swim when I could in these like backcountry lakes and just you know really enjoy the experience and and little tip always give yourself buffer time lesson learned 
Always give yourself buffer time. Take, yes. Expect to take longer than you need to. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to throw no, that out I, there. That's a wreck that came in the way of Iceland. Yeah. So. so everything that could have gone wrong prior to getting out there did. And the first day was really hard. What I've learned now that I've done a few of these like long distance backpacking trips is usually you're starting from like you're starting from a trail you're starting from like a parking lot so you're mm-hmm. always like climbing your way because I, I do a lot <laughs> yeah. of my most of my hiking is in the mountains so like you're you're spending that first day really just like hiking up and out like <laughs> of a valley into like the mountains and so it's always so that first day hiking from the Longmire Trailhead to my first campsite. I didn't realize on that first day there are no views because it's entirely forested mm. and it's just a slog up. I wanted to quit so bad that first day. That first day I was like, this this sucks. Why? Like I have, I have 13 days that I'm taking to do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like why is this the thing I want to be doing? Why am I not taking a vacation somewhere like beautiful that isn't hard yeah. to like, enjoy. Like, why is this? And I thought like, I was just doubting everything. And I made a deal with myself, which was just get to that campsite. And then the next day you can hike back out and just call it. And then as soon as I took off my pack, set up my tent, made dinner, changed out of my clothes. I just like felt like a new person. Mm. Like I had like calories in me and I was relaxing and I met people like at the campsite next to me we were playing cards and it was just like so fun that when I woke up the next day I was like fucking psyched yeah. to like continue and that next day was like Mount Rainier in my face it was uh, and like and she was in my face <laughs> every day after that after that first day I never again even thought about quitting for a second mm. I was just like in it to win it like, yeah. not to say that there weren't times that were I mean there were definitely some sections I was like what is this bullshit yeah but, and what I've learned is that now it's always that first day that first day of every through hike for me is always a damn like, what am I doing? This is hard. Mm-hmm. This sucks. What did I sign up for? Actually, by the time I did the John Muir Trail, I had told all my friends the addresses of my resupply stop, and I just asked if they could, if my friends could send me like a letter or a postcard. Yeah, you and, know, like we do. <laughs> and it was amazing. And I also knew that first day I was going to want to quit, and oh, I did. Yeah. <laughs> because that first day you're climbing out of Yosemite Valley, basically like up into like towards your first mountain pass, and it's just like it's the same. It was the same thing as the Wonderland Trail, where it's like it's just a slog up. Once you like know yourself and you know your vulnerabilities, you know, you can rally like the support of the people in your life to like say, hey, like, I know this is going to be hard for me. Here's like, can you like toss me a kind? You know, and like, and I also knew like, okay, just make it to like the next resupply because you're going to have all these letters from your friends. And that became really important to me because my friends are amazing and they Mm -hmm. like you and so many of my other friends just like wrote me these like amazing letters and these like they were like hilarious and touching and (laughs) and it got to where I just like needed that because I was doing this trail by myself was crying like literally if I think there was one no I think I cried every day it's you know just everything made me cry whether it was pain or just happy tears or just I mean I was just like in constant tears. And I, I think a thing that you hit on there that's important is that with experience, you learn about what your thing is yeah. so that you can better mentally prepare for it. Like, you know, it's your first day. And since you know that your first day is probably going to be rough, you're kind of prepared for the wheels to fall off is what I say. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, it is throughout it comes in waves for ultra running it is not a specific point it comes in waves and so I've started to say to myself like this this is hard and it will pass so that's Mm -hmm. another thing I've learned right so like what you were saying um when you were getting to the end of your tips you were talking about like mantras and Mm -hmm. for me um I have a couple but not so much a mantra but uh what I've learned from reading a lot of other through hiker blogs is they The prevailing wisdom is always give it 24 hours from the time that you say, I want to stop. If I'm still feeling this way, 
I will give myself permission to stop. And every single time I've like given myself that 24 hours, within 24 hours, I've, I've like already forgotten about it. Yeah. Because, you know, usually you just need like, you just need a good night's sleep or you just need that night, that hot meal or you just need like something. A ginger. Yeah, or like <laughs> a beautiful view or like something, something. There's always something that like just pulls me out of that feeling of like, I can't do this anymore. And so by not being rash about it, by saying like, I'm going to pull off and then, you know, a mile later, like seeing a junction where you can pull off the trail and just calling it by letting yourself sit with that feeling for 24 hours max. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least for me, I've learned, oh wait, no, I don't actually want to stop. Like I do, I just, that was just like a bad morning or like that was just a bad thing that was happening. Or like I was just going through some stuff <laughs> in that like afternoon there and you know, you just work through it. I, I love to read a lot of trail books. One of my favorite ones is, uh, it's called I Promise Not to Suffer. And it's about this woman who through hikes, the Pacific Crest Trail with her husband, she had this sort of mantra, the trail is not done with me, mm. which means, you know, like the the trail still has more to teach me. If you're not injured and you've got food in your pack and you are like, you're okay, you still have lessons to learn from the trail. And so just keep going. And so I have taken that mode of thought with me on like anything, anything that is hard. There's, I'm trying to, there's never been a single long trail where I'm like, oh, that was that was easy. Yeah. Like, there's always Same. suffering. There's always Same. suffering. And the thing is, you don't... Here's the thing. You don't have to love every second of it. Because you know what? At the very least, it'll all make for a good story. Yes, that's a good You know, like, I, I mean, I've had, like... I've had things happen to me where I'm, like... It'll just, like, send me into immediate tears. Mm. And it's just like, you know what? I can't wait to tell Lisa about this. Yeah. She's going to find this hilarious. I decided it was a good idea for some reason to only take one pair of pants with me on the John Muir Trail. And I tripped and fell and ripped this, like, huge hole in the crack of my pants. And I was, like... I was like, this is, I, I should probably stop because I have like no viable pants now, <laughs> but I brought a little sewing kit and I, I took a picture that I was like, as soon as I have service, I'm putting this on Instagram <laughs> because I'm sitting here sewing my one pair of pants back together. And another time it was like at the very end of my hike when I was just, I thought, it was, oh, also I thought it was a great idea to just eat ramen for dinner every day because it's light and it could all fit in my bear can. And by, like, day 18, I couldn't even look at ramen. And, it, like, <laughs> looking at it made me want to cry. And I just took a picture of myself looking at ramen and wanting to cry. And I was like, this is... Oh, and here's another thing. Here's a thing that a friend who threw hikes a lot t- uh, taught me. She's like... And this is, this is a fun pro tip. In your worst moments, when you are, like, crying... And you're feeling no, I'll awful. Be I'll be crying. Take a selfie. Oh my god! <laughs> don't like, don't like, you don't upload it. Don't do any like, just take it. Look at it, and you're like, I look stupid. I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> I like, like you look at your like pathetic face, and you're like, we're gonna keep yeah. going. Like, there's something that just like looking, like doing that, and then snap. It just like snaps you out of it. It's like. All right, girl, we're gonna keep going yeah. <laughs> because it's like I, I like it can't be that bad if I look that like there's no way yeah. it's just, there's just something entertaining about that and yeah. so that's what she does like that's what she does when she's out there and she's suffering she takes a selfie she looks at it and she just keeps going and I'm like I'm gonna try that and I've done it and it worked and I think there's a benefit to that because I just found a selfie the one of the only photos I have like two photos other than the first day that was sunny and beautiful like two photos from Norway from that trip because it was like again it was like trying not to have my fingers fall off from frostbite and like had to keep moving so I couldn't stop to take beautiful photos of the cloud in front of me that was like what I was living in at the end they started to clear enough that I was able to pull out my phone for a second I had to stop I just wanted to be dumb, but I was, like, starving, so I had to slow down to eat a little snack. Mm. Um, I suck at planning snacks, as everybody probably knows that listens to the podcast. But I forced myself to eat a snack, and in that moment, I was getting cold. I was like, well, I could take a quick photo. So I was like, well, I'll get a photo of my face. <laughs> and so I got a <laughs> selfie, and I look miserable. <laughs> it is like, 
wow. But, but you I, look at it and you're like, this is actually funny. Yeah. Because you were supposed to be looking really pathetic and you're like, all right. It wasn't this is that not, bad. It's not that well, bad. And, like, I, I, and the secondary thing to that is you can come back and look at that photo and I remember that experience. And not, yeah. I don't remember the suffering as being like, yeah, sure, that I was like, it, it was tough, but it reminds me what I got through. Like, holy shit, that's right. I felt like that and I kept going. You know, like, that's right. It was that rough and I still finished. Like, it was, it's really nice to look back and remember the whole experience, not just the highlights. So, right. I love that idea. Yeah. yeah. When I, <laughs> honestly, when I look back at photos of the John Muir Trail, it's like a lot of marmots and then suffer selfies. Yeah. <laughs> and it just looks like a very sad girl in a marmot sanctuary. <laughs> Like, my photos are ridiculous. <laughs> and then, awesome. like, some beautiful mountain shots. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. But, I mean, and I took a lot of suffer selfies, too, when I was doing the Inca Trail because I was really sick the whole time. Mm. There's re- there's just, like, no really, unless you are injured, there's no turning around out mm. there. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to take a lot of suffer selfies. Yeah. <laughs> so like, beautiful, like, Andes Mountains and, like, suffer selfies. Yeah. But they're hilarious. Like, at, again, like, when you put a lot of time between that experience and the presence and you like look at these you're like oh hilarious and you are (laughs) grateful that you didn't let that person in that moment like pull you off the trail exactly and the thing is overall like no one gets to the end like no one sets out to do this huge thing like no one sets out to do an ultra marathon or to through hike a long trail or climb this mountain and then like get to the top of it with all this suffering that they endured and say, yeah, I probably should have stopped. It's like, no, you are pumped that you did the thing. Like that feeling that you have with yourself when you finish a thing that you set out to do. It's like overwhelming. So it is so, yeah. And I think that at the end of this, like overall when you you go through these kinds of experiences because you're some people might listen and be like why the hell would I even try this listen to this stuff but it's because I have never known myself more deeply or found more joy than through suffering and it's not because I enjoy the suffering I'm not a masochist like I don't want to injure myself I don't want to hurt myself but there are insights about yourself and your ability your strength and your ability to keep going through things you thought were impossible and that felt impossible that is incredibly empowering. You not only ha- have more love for yourself, you can see yourself more clearly and you also I've taken all of this and I've totally applied it in my life. Like I don't get so upset when shit hits the fan in my life because I've been, I've been lost in the middle of fucking Norway like, right. like almost hypothermic like and I just had to find a way to like make my way through it and guess what everything turned out okay. Yeah. And at the end I was happy. And so I know that when I confront this stuff in my life and it's cheesy as hell but it's totally true. You take all of these lessons from the trail and you take it with you. Yeah, and what's interesting is when you're in it and and the, I feel like there there is a difference in like through hiking versus trail running where trail running I just immediately think like oh god suffering yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> whereas like through hiking it's a little more like at a more moderate pace <laughs> and but the thing is you don't because you don't immediately think suffering when the suffering happens it's like surprise suffering it's like yeah. surprise suffering yeah 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 <laughs> And so you think, you know, for me, I always think, I always tell myself the lie. Like, I'm going to work out so much stuff, you know, psychologically and emotionally. And I'm going to work. And the thing is, you don't. Like, I'm always thinking, like, oh, God, this hurts. What's that noise? This feels weird. Oh, is that, like, what is this? pack doing on my hip you know it's like you're always thinking of just like the minutiae of things and to me that real deep in introspection doesn't happen until like the effects of that doesn't hit you until after you're done totally. and I I it's not until after the fact that I realize all these things about myself I do want to go longer and harder and I know now I know like I'm gonna want to quit on the first day (laughs) I'm probably gonna cry every day over something (laughs) and you know overall I know that I'm gonna come out at the other end of it feeling empowered and having learned a lot about myself lessons that I may not understand at the time as they're happening but things I'll like take with me and that is 
knowing knowing these things now, the more that I do them, it becomes increasingly important for me to see it through. I feel like the same way that the more you run and you want to do these like different trails or maybe yeah. longer trails, you know, you you also want to see what you're capable of. And totally. And I and the less and less I care about times, and the yeah. more and more I care about just doing a thing that is inspiring personally to me. And again, that's stuff that I used to think I needed this external thing to say, like, I did this awesome thing. Like, I crossed a finish line. I did this awesome thing. Um, that is still awesome because, like, when I finished in Iceland, I was by myself on a coastline, really cold. Cause, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, there was no big fanfare. Um, but uh, I don't need that stuff. And that I wouldn't have really understood unless I tried, got out there and tried, and I kept going even when odds seemed impossible or plans changed so I had to change my goal or change like what my plan like being able to roll with things like that Mm -hmm. also that's that's been an amazing gift as well and just know that it is totally normal to feel exhausted to have trouble to want to quit at some point people that are out there acting like everything is perfect and fine maybe there are some people like that great good for you most people know at some point we, neither you or i know those people to exist. yes totally exactly <laughs> that's a good way to say it um we cannot confirm nor deny their existence exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no i'm out there and i'm like oh shit the wheels are falling off the wheels are falling off good thing i have all day to put them back on like that was a thing i've told myself before and I'm just like sitting there crying like, oh God, the wheels are falling off because I'm in pain and I want to poop and I want to stop. When I have found my way through that, it's been phenomenal growth in my life. We also understand and are saying it's okay to pull off for reasons. Totally. For, you know, any, honestly, any reason, to be honest, you know, and we all define our own success in our own way. You know, yep. you don't have to go from point A to point B and have that be your only measure of success. And there are, there are so many reasons to end an an adventure. What we are trying to tell you is that it's okay to have these things happen, feel these things, and just try to help give you tools to work through those things if, you know, finishing is your end goal. And to give yourself a minute. Yeah. So when you feel these things, or for me, twenty four hours. Exactly. Yeah. Give, give yourself a full twenty four hours yeah. to like just sit with it and really. And usually, you don't need. I haven't ever needed the full twenty four hours. And you can and will surprise yourself. So, ladies, you can do this. You can make this happen. All you need to do is go out there, try, see what different mantras and things work for you, and you can do it because you're mentally stronger than you think you are, but you got to go out and test it in order to see just how strong you really are. Yeah, and when the suck comes, just embrace it. Yep. (laughs) And if the suck just really sucks, just understand it's going to make a great story when you're done. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you, Jen, for being here to chat about all this with me. Thank you, Lisa. I'm so glad we're back doing this again. And thank you guys so much for all of your sweet messages that you have sent to Lisa and I. We have read all of them and just love you guys so much. And... It's sometimes it's just nice to confirm that it's not just Lisa and I just talking to ourselves <laughs> into a recorder. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that that would stop. Like, yeah. would st- don't get me wrong. Do yeah. We would still do this. <laughs> but it's nice to know that, you know, there are so many of you out there who have just reached out to us and have my popular demand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> brought us back. <laughs> but, you guys mean everything. Yeah, and you really do. And you're 100% the reason why we are doing this in the first place. So thank you for listening. We hope that you got to take away a little something from this so that when you are on your own long distance or long endurance adventure that you can take something away. And if nothing that we said was valuable, at the very least, we hope you were entertained. Yeah. <laughs> we and hope. learn some fun facts. Yes, fun facts. Fun facts and suffer selfies. <laughs> So thank you guys so much, and we hope that you have a great month in the woods.